Chapter 28 of Dope. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mark Friend. Dope by Sax Romer. Chapter 28 The Gilded Joss. London was fogbound. The threat of the past week had been no empty one. Towards the hour of each wintry sunset had come the yellow racks, hastening dusk and driving folks more speedily homeward to their firesides. The dull reports of fog signals had become a part of the metropolitan bombolation, but hitherto the choking mist had not secured a stranglehold. Now, however, it had triumphed, casting its thick net over the city as if eager to stifle the pulsing life of the new Babylon. In the neighborhood of the docks, its density was extraordinary, and the purlieu of Limehouse became mere mysterious gullies of smoke, impossible to navigate unless you were very familiar with their intricacies and dangers. Chief Inspector Carey, wearing a cardigan under his oilskins, tapped the pavement with the point of his malacca like a blind man. No glimmer of light could he perceive. He could not even see his companion. Hell, he snapped irritably as his foot touched the brick wall. "'Where the devil are you, constable?' "'Here beside you, sir,' answered P.C. Bryce of K Division, his guide. "'Which side?' "'Here, sir,' the constable grasped Carey's arm. "'But we've walked slap into a damn brick wall.' "'Keep the wall on your left, sir, and it's all clear ahead.' "'Clear be damned,' said Carey. "'Are we nearly there?' "'About a dozen paces, and we shall see the lamp, if it's been lighted. "'And if not, we shall stroll into the river, I suppose?' No danger of that. Even if the lamp's out, we shall strike the iron pillar. I don't doubt it, said Carey grimly. They proceeded at a slow pace. Dull reports of a vague clangor were audible. These sounds were so deadened by the clammy mist that they might have proceeded from some gnome's workshop deep in the bowels of the earth. The blows of a pile driver at work on the Surrey shore suggested to Carey's mind the phantom crew of Hendrick Hudson at their game of nine pins in the Catskill Mountains. Suddenly, "'Is that you, Bryce?' he asked. "'I'm here, sir,' replied the voice of the constable from beside him. "'Hm. Then there's someone else about.' He raised his voice. "'Hi there. Have you lost your way?' Carey stood still, listening. But no one answered his call. "'I'll swear there was someone just behind us, Bryce.' "'There was, sir. I saw someone, too. A Chinese resident, probably. Here we are.' A sound of banging became audible, and on advancing another two paces, Carey found himself beside Bryce before a low closed door. Hello, hello, croaked a dim voice. Number one police chop low, Sin Sin Wa. The flat note of a police whistle followed. Sin Sin is at home, declared Bryce. That's the raven. Does he take the thing about with him then? I don't think so, but he puts it in a cupboard when he goes out, and it never talks unless it can see light. Bolts were unfastened, and the door was opened. Out through the moving curtain of fog shone the red glow of a stove. A grotesque silhouette appeared outlined upon the dim redness. "'You want you me?' crooned Sin Sinwa. "'I do,' rapped Carrie. "'I've called to look for opium.' He stepped past the Chinaman into the dimly lighted room. As he did so, the cause of an apparent deformity which had characterized the outline of Sin Sinwa became apparent. From his left shoulder, the raven partly arose, moving its big wings, and, "'Smartest leg!' it shrieked in Carey's ear and rattled imaginary castanets. The chief inspector started involuntarily. "'Damn the thing!' he muttered. "'Come in, Bryce, and shut the door. What's this?' On a tea-chest set beside the glowing stove, the little door of which was open, stood a highly polished squat wooden image, gilded and colored red and green. 
It was that of a leering Chinaman, possibly designed to represent Buddha, and its jade eyes seemed to blink knowingly in the dancing rays from the stove. Sinsen was Joss, murmured the proprietor, as Bryce closed the outer door. Me shiny him up, makey Joss glad. Number one piecey Joss. Carrie turned and stared into the pockmarked smiling face. Seen in that dim light, it was not unlike the carved face of the image, save that the latter possessed two open eyes and the Chinaman but one. The details of the room were indiscernible, lost in yellowish shadow, but the eye of the raven and the eye of Sinsinwa glittered like strange jewels. Hmm, said Carrie. Sorry to interrupt your devotions. Light us. Ali veli prapa, crooned Sinsinwa. He took up the joss tenderly and bore it across the room. Opening a little cupboard set low down near the floor, he discovered a lighted lantern. This he took out and set upon the dirty table. Then he placed the image on a shelf in the cupboard and turned smilingly to his visitors. Number one, please, shrieked the raven. Here, snapped Carrie. Put that damn thing to bed. Very good, murmured Sinsinwa complacently. He raised his hand to his shoulder and the raven stepped sedately from shoulder to wrist. Sinsinwa stooped. Come, Tingaling, he said softly. You catchy sleepy. The raven stepped down from his wrist and walked into the cupboard. So fashion low, said Sinsinwa, closing the door. He seated himself upon a tea chest beside the useful cupboard, resting his hands upon his knees and smiling. Carrie, chewing steadily, had watched the proceedings in silence. But now, Constable Bryce, he said crisply, you recognize this man as Sinsinwa, the occupier of the house? Yes, sir, replied Bryce. He was not wholly at ease, and persistently avoided the Chinaman's oblique B.I. In the ordinary course of your duty, you frequently pass along this street. It's the limit of the Limehouse Beat, sir. Poplar patrols on the other side. So that at this point, or hereabout, you would sometimes meet the constable on the next beat. Well, sir, Bryce hesitated, clearing his throat. <clears throat> this street isn't properly in his district. I didn't say it was, snapped Carrie, glaring fiercely at the embarrassed constable. I said you would sometimes meet him here. Yes, sometimes. Sometimes, right. Did you ever come in here? The constable ventured a swift glance at the savage red face, and... Yes, sir, now and then, he confessed. Just for a warm on a cold night, maybe. Ali, very welcome, murmured Sinsinwa. Carrie never for a moment removed his fixed gaze from the face of Bryce. Now, my lad, he said, I'm going to ask you another question. I'm not saying a word about the warm on a cold night. We're all human. But did you ever see or hear or smell anything suspicious in this house? Never, affirmed the constable earnestly. Did anything ever take place that suggested to your mind that Sinsinwa might be concealing something? Upstairs, for instance? Never a thing, sir. There's never been a complaint about him. Ali very proper, crooned Sinsinwa. Carrie stared intently for some moments at Bryce, then... Turning suddenly to Sinsinwa, I want to see your wife, he said. Fetch her. Sinsinwa gently patted his knees. She very bad woman, he declared. She no hate topside pigeon. Don't talk, shouted Carrie. Fetch her. Sinsinwa turned his hands, palms upward. Me no hate got you wifey, he murmured. Carrie took one pace forward. Fetch her, he said. Or he drew a pair of handcuffs from the pocket of his oilskin. Very bad luck, murmured Sinsinwa. Catchy trouble for wifey no got. He extended his wrists, meeting the angry glare of the chief inspector with a smile of resignation. Carrie bit savagely at his chewing gum, glancing aside at Bryce. Did you ever see his wife? he snapped. 
No, sir. I didn't know he had one. No abgachi, murmured Sinsinwa. Very bad woman. For the last time, said Carey, stooping and thrusting his face forward so that his nose was only some six inches from that of Sinsinwa. Where's Mrs. Sin? Kachi Lunaf, replied the Chinaman blandly. Very bad woman. Thief woman. Kachi steely all of my dollars. Ah! Carey stood upright, moving his shoulders and rattling the handcuffs. Come here when Sinsinwa had gone for Kachi Shavi. Lift the all of my dollars and Chilo. He raised his hands and blew imaginary fluff into space. Carey stared down at him with an expression in which animal ferocity and helplessness were oddly blended. Then, Bryce, he said, stay here. I'm going to search the house. Very good, sir. Carey turned again to the Chinaman. Is there anyone upstairs, he demanded. Nobody hate. Sinsinwa ala semi lonesome. Ketchy shinum him josh. Carey dropped the handcuffs back into the pocket of his overall and took out an electric torch. With never another glance at Sinsinwa, he went out into the passage and began to mount the stairs, presently finding himself in a room filled with all sorts of unsavory rubbish and containing a large cupboard. He uttered an explanation of triumph, crossing the littered floor and picking his way amid broken cane chairs, tea chests, discarded garments, and bedlays, he threw open the cupboard door. Before him hung a row of ragged clothes and a number of bowler hats. Directing the ray of the torch upon the unsavory collection, he snatched coats and hats from the hooks upon which they depended and hurled them impatiently upon the floor. When the cupboard was empty, he stepped into it and began to bang upon the back. The savagery of his expression grew more marked than usual, and as he chewed, his maxillary muscles protruded extraordinarily. If ever I sounded a brick wall, he muttered, I'm doing it now. Tap where he would, and he tapped with his knuckles and with the bone furl of his cane. There was nothing in the resulting sound to suggest that that part of the wall behind the cupboard was less solid than any other part. He examined the room rapidly, then passed into another one adjoining it, which was evidently used as a bedroom. The latter faced towards the court and did not come in contact with the wall of the neighboring house. In both rooms, the windows were fastened, and judging from the state of the fasteners, were never opened. In that containing the cupboard, outside shutters were also closed. Despite the sealing up of the apartments, traces of fog hung in the air. Carey descended the stairs. Snapping off the light of his torch, he stood, feet wide apart, staring at Sinsinwa. The latter, smiling imperturbably, yellow hands resting upon his knees, sat quite still on the tea chest. Constable Bryce was seated on a corner of the table, looking curiously awkward in his tweed overcoat and bowler hat which garments quite failed to disguise the policeman. He stood up as Carey entered. Then, There used to be a door between this house and the next, said Carey succinctly. My information is exact and given by someone who has often used that door. Bloody liar, murmured Sinsinwa. What? shouted Carey. What did you say, you yellow-faced mongrel? He clenched his fists and strode towards the Chinaman. Saucy fellow, catchy pulley leg, explained the unmoved Sinsinwa. Very bad man tell he lie for makey bulberry. Ketchy poor Chinaman in trouble. In the fog-bound silence, Carey could very distinctly be heard chewing. He turned suddenly to Bryce. Go back and fetch two men, he directed. I should never find my way. Very good, sir. Bryce stepped to the door, unable to hide the relief which he experienced, and opened it. The fog was so dense that it looked like a yellow curtain hung in the opening. Phew, said Bryce. I may be some little time, sir. Quite likely. 
but don't stop to pick daisies. The constable went out, closing the door. Carey laid his cane on the table, then stooped and tossed a cut of chewing gum into the stove. From his waistcoat pocket, he drew out a fresh piece and placed it between his teeth. Drawing a tea chest closer to the stove, he seated himself and stared intently into the glowing heart of the fire. Sinsinwa extended his arm and opened the little cupboard. Number one, please, croaked the raven drowsily. You catchy sleepy, Tlingaling, said Sinsinwa. He took out the green-eyed joss, set it tenderly upon a corner of the table, and closed the cupboard door. With a piece of chamois leather, which he sometimes dipped into a little square tin, he began to polish the hideous figure. End of chapter 28